Hey, listener, it's me, Peter Sagal from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. One thing that gets me through a tough week of obsessively reading and listening to the news is the idea that I eventually get to spend some time with you. You know, just our regular meeting in your kitchen as you do the dishes that have piled up all week or... Maybe as you drive your kid to soccer practice. I love that. It's good family time. If you've come to rely on our time together as much as I have, then I hope you'll consider donating to your local station at donate.npr.org slash wait, which supports Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me and makes all that us time possible. With your help, we can keep hanging out together every week. Thanks for coming. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. This New Year's Eve, count to ten and watch the bill drop. That's me, (laughs) Bill Curtis. And here is your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in Chicago, Peter Sagal. Thanks, Bill. Thank you, everybody. It's the week between Christmas and New Year's, the holiday perineum. (laughs) You've opened all the presents, you've drunk all the eggnog, and now you're waiting to be invited to a New Year's Eve party. Mm, Sorry, Peter, we just don't have the space for a lot of people this year. It's uh, mostly just family, you understand, right? Whatever your plans, we promise to keep you entertained with a fresh batch of Wait, Wait favorites and some clips we've never put in the air before. But first, we have this much-beloved interview with the most handsome man on television, John Hamm. John joined us in September at the Greek Theater in Los Angeles along with Jesse Klein, Maz Jobrani, and Alonzo Bowden. Peter asked him about his time on the dating game. I believe it was called The Big Date. Oh, excuse me. (laughs) Um, And and what's amazing is not so much that you did that show because, you know, struggling actors do what they can, but that the woman didn't pick you. No, she did not. Nor should she have. Really? It was, it was bad. You can see it online, or you can watch the episode of Kimmy Schmidt where they weave it in as part of the uh, plot. Uh, 25-year-old me saying yes when I maybe should have said no. Yeah. Uh, but you got paid 250 bucks to go make an ass of yourself on uh, a dating show, and I was like, Done and done. <laughs> what, 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 what Who's ever going to see this? It's on USA. It's, no one's going to invent a thing where everything is saved and can be distributed globally instantaneously. That's never going to happen. This will burn into the ether. And I'll have $250. <laughs> uh, so I, I want to talk about a, a, a fairly sensitive topic, and I'll introduce it by saying that we at Wait Wait have had our share of really impressive people. Uh, we had Leonard Nimoy once, wandering on backstage, but I have never seen our own sort of staff and colleagues freak out by anybody's presence as much as you. <laughs> Knees literally began to go weak and tremble. Oh, jeez. I thought you weren't going to tell anyone, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm I'm just going to ask you, what's it like to be that handsome? God, there's literally no way to answer this question without coming off like a horrible douche. Uh, Look, I don't, you know, my mom thought I was handsome. That's kind of all you really need in the world. Uh, I got, uh, it's... (laughs) Oh, great. Now you're charming, too. <laughs> Come on. We don't have hair. <laughs> Look at you. I'm terrible. 
Uh, I'll ask you about something else that you are, and it was obvious, uh, which is that you're really funny. I'm told that, like, you like doing comedy roles. I mean, it seemed to me that, you know, once Mad Men came to an end, a very serious drama, you, like, you showed up in Kimmy Schmidt. I kept seeing you doing goofy things. Yeah, well, I got, uh, again, incredibly fortunate to be asked to, to host SNL the first time in 2009, I think. Yeah, for example. You guys might not have, it stands for Saturday Night Live. Yeah. <laughs> but I had been a fan since I was a kid. So for me, I was literally like, oh, this is a dream come true. I can't believe I get to do this. And I knew a few of the people on the cast. Jesse, you weren't on there by I, that point. I actually, I was there. I had a very undistinguished season writing there for one season. But the week you were hosting, obviously everyone very like nervous and excited. You were there. And Tuesday night is the writing night. And all the writers stay up all night long writing. And the host if they're very cool, stays and comes and chats with you about what you're going to write for them if you need to talk to them. But you had had a full beard on Monday night when you showed up, and then by Tuesday night you had shaved it for the show. And I was like, I want to like have like light banter with John Hampton Bond. And so I was like, oh, how was it shaving your beard? I was like, <laughs> my boyfriend, when he shaves his beard, stops in the middle of the shave and does like silly pictures of himself with like a mustache and like does a few phases in between and then I was like, why did I mention my boyfriend John Hamm? And also that was so stupid. <laughs> what a dumb story to tell him like and then you took out your phone and showed me the pictures of your silly mustache <laughs> that you had done while you were shaving. I was like, oh, John Hamm, what a winner of a man. <laughs> We brought that, by the way, me and that boyfriend aren't together anymore. <laughs> I'm married, but we have like an arrangement. <laughs> he doesn't know yet, but we have an arrangement. <laughs> well, John Ham, we are delighted to talk to you, but we have in fact asked you here to play a game we're calling Ham Meet Spam. <laughs> okay. It was obvious, but. We're kind of lazy. John Hamm, <laughs> we're going to ask you about Spam, the delicious pork product. Answer two out of three questions about that great canned meat. Win our prize for one of our listeners, the voice of their choice in their voicemail. Bill, who is John Hamm playing for? Lauren Bullock of Santa Ana, California. You ready All for right. this? All right, Lauren. Here we go. First question, spam has played an important role in history since its invention during the Depression. For example, spam has been credited with which of these? A, creating the modern vegetarian movement. <laughs> B, growing the mold that became penicillin. Or C, the Russian victory over Nazi Germany in World War II. I do like the idea of, of people eating spam and being like, nope, that's it, no more meat ever. I'm done. I got it. That's it. That's a wrap on meat for me forever, if in fact that was meat. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'll say C. You're right, it was C. Oh. After the war, Nikita Khrushchev himself declared, without spam, we wouldn't have been able to feed our army. So there you go. All right, you have two more questions. There have been many different kinds of spam over the years, including which of these special spams? A, a kosher spam for the Israeli army. <laughs> B, a high-end millionaire's spam made with caviar. Or C, spam for dogs made because dogs will not eat the human version. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there seem to be a lot of confident Jews in the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> Very uncomfortable. 
common. I know. Loud, loud, loud. For some reason, yes, the idea of kosher spam, I feel like I've seen that can. You're going to choose that? Yes. All right, okay. You're choosing that. Choosing A. You're right, yes, kosher spam. Israeli army. It was known as loof and made from kosher beef. All right, this, you can be, I was about to say you can be perfect, but you already are. Oh my God, <laughs> So stop. you can be more perfect stop. if you get this question right. As food preferences has shifted towards more natural, unprocessed food, the Hormel company, which makes it, has had to come up with new ways of selling their canned meat with a shelf life of eternity. <laughs> So which of these is a real slogan Hormel used to get people to keep buying spam? Was it A, because that bunker won't stock itself, (laughs) B, it's like meat with a pause button, or C, extruded means extra tasty? As a fictional advertising executive, those are all terrible. But I'm going to go with B as the least terrible. My God, you're right. <laughs> that, was their, that was their slogan. Next, like meat with a pause button. Bill, how did John Hamm do in our quiz? Three and zero. He is great. That's fantastic. <laughs> John Hamm stars in the upcoming film Bad Times at the El Royale in theaters October 12th, and you can see him on Good Omens on Amazon Prime. John Hamm, thank you so much. Thank you very much. We've been talking about Christmas, but you know who probably didn't celebrate Christmas this year? Wilco frontman Jeff Tweedy. We know this because in August, Jeff told us the terrifying story of his recent religious conversion. I converted when my youngest son yeah. uh, was being bar mitzvahed. Did you, were you bar mitzvahed together? He was bar mitzvahed and I had a conversion ceremony. Right. And I, and, and I know what everyone is thinking. I know. I didn't want to ask, but yeah. did it hurt? I, <laughs> I, I, I had the proper style, <laughs> but apparently that's not good enough. Yeah. Oh. Really? No. No? Really? Mm-hmm. Even though you were all set, they had to go back and do it over again? Is that what you're saying? They didn't have to do it over again, they, but they did have to do something. And I was, I was, I was picturing an operating suite. So they had to they had to do a, a sort of faux uh, faux procedure on you a, a ritual procedure as they it were? took me into a, 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 a storage <laughs> closet at a temple. <laughs> so they bring you into the closet. Yeah. This well this this uh, this guy with a black with a black leather bag. Yeah. And um and he asked me on the way to the closet do you do you understand what this entails? <laughs> <laughs> and you said and I said I think so. <laughs> And um, so we get in the closet and he says, uh, drop, take your pants down. And then he, like, I don't know what the NPR word for a, a d- is, is like, I guess, phallus. <laughs> right? Yes, is that what you're saying? That would be the NPR word right there. So he, he, he put, had, he had my phallus in his hand with a, with a little bit of uh, gauze, or a lot of gauze, actually. It was a large amount of gauze. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah no. 
It was almost a whole roll of yeah. dogs. It was <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and um, and so he, he was he reached down in his bag and he got a he got a sharp object, and and he looked up at me and he said, "My sons are big fans." Oh! <laughs> When we come back, our brand new interview with late night host Seth Myers, and our panelists get quizzed on weird holiday traditions from around the world. That's in a minute on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Simply Safe Home Security. Simply Safe is complete wireless protection for your home. The system can be self-installed in under an hour, and there are no long-term contracts and no hidden fees. CNET, the Wirecutter, and PC Mag have all named Simply Safe their top pick for home security. And Simply Safe protects over 2 million people every day. Learn more about protecting your home and family with Simply Safe at simplysafe.com. Slash wait. Did you know you can ask Google Home to play NPR podcasts for you? It's easy. Just ask. Like, play the Fresh Air podcast. Use Google Home or Google Assistant to connect with your favorite shows anytime. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis, and here is your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in Chicago, Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. Thanks, everybody. Thank you so much. Christmas of 2018, it's now in the past, but in just a few days, stores will be putting out their decorations for next Christmas. Only 316 shopping days left. If you think our holiday traditions are strange, you'll feel a little better or a little more worried when you hear this game about Christmas around the world. Right now, panel, it's time for a holiday game we're calling Ho, 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 No. Christmas traditions are strange. We put dead trees in our living room. We kiss strangers under wads of berries and leaves. Jews light candles and think we're fooling anybody. But some holiday traditions are stranger than others. We're going to ask you about real traditions from around the world. Guess which one is true and get a point. You ready to go? Yeah. All right. Tom, in Venezuela, people attend Christmas mass, but there's a twist. Is it A, churchgoers arrive on roller skates, or B, they serve a lot of extra communion wine and then they all go home drunk? Well, B's too obvious. I'm going to say A. Yes, A, they travel to Mass on roller skates. They tried ice skating, but it keeps melting. They're down near the equator. <laughs> Alonzo, there's a Christmas Eve tradition in Norway that feels oddly like Halloween. Is it A, people serve a treat called candy corn, but it's just raw corn dipped in sugar? Or B, people hide all the brooms in the house so witches can't steal them. <laughs> wow. I'm going to go and hide the brooms. You're right. They hide all the brooms so a witch can't steal one. You know, Christmas witches. <laughs> Tara, in the month of December, South African children are told the charming story of whom? Is it A, Kitty, King of the Muse, the legendary cat of Jesus, never mentioned in the Bible? <laughs> Or B, Danny, the ghost of a boy whose grandma killed him for eating too many cookies. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't want to pick B. I'm not picking B. I don't care. A. No, it was, in fact, Danny. Wow. <laughs> Wrong. Thanks, Grandma. Oh. Tom, in Spain, families celebrate the season with what festive household feature? Is it A, sensual Santa, a wax figurine of a sexy Santa that is said to bring fertility, 
or B, pooping log, a hollow log with a face you feed nuts, onions, and fruits until it falls out a hole in the bottom. Um, I hope it is uh, Sexy Santa. No, it was the pooping oh, log. No. This is a Spanish thing, and not only do people have pooping logs, but there is a song to celebrate the pooping log. And translated, it goes like this. Poop log, poop log, hazelnuts and cottage cheese. If you don't poop well, I'll hit you with a stick. Poop log. <laughs> and, and that will kill Danny. Yeah, I know. My, my wife was born in Madrid. I need to ask her about this. <laughs> Maybe you don't want to ask I know. her. <laughs> One of the top stories from 2018 was the royal wedding between Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, which led to this moment on our show, featuring panelist Tara Clancy. I'm ready. All right, here is your first quote. If Meghan can make him happy, I hope he'll be satisfied not being king. That was actor Samuel L. Jackson. As you can probably tell from Bill's perfect imitation. (laughs) (laughs) Who for some reason was talking about whose wedding that's taking place on Saturday. Uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Yes, exactly right. You got both bride and groom this weekend. (laughs) Prince Harry and Meghan Markle are being wed at Windsor Castle in front of 3,200 distinguished guests before an opulent private reception at Frogmore House. How did Samuel L. Jackson get in? I have am no I, idea. Am I the only person who hasn't been asked an opinion yet on this? Tom, how do you feel about the... Oh, uh, thank you. We'll be happy to do this. Exactly, Tom. Yeah. I didn't get my invitation. That's how I feel about it. It's a very exclusive crowd. But Harry never wanted to be king. Or at least he said that. I don't think he really wants it. So Samuel's wrong. Well, well he's number six. He's not going to be king. I mean, no, that's just I like mean, <laughs> you know, there could be a giant sinkhole or something. Well, I mean, look at his dad. I mean, Charles has been number one for like the last 85 years or something, right? I mean, seriously, if you're number six, it ain't happening. Yeah. 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 And this is interesting. Meghan Markle, apparently, because she's marrying into the royal family, uh, she had to undergo security training which seriously entailed her being fake kidnapped and subjected to live gunfire. They don't really need to do that. It's just how the royal family messes with people. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes, Megan, we all have to do this. Here, let me blindfold you. Uh, You know what I didn't know? I didn't know. I think it's Tostitos, but she had done an ad. Is it Tostitos? Does anybody else? I don't follow the royals that closely. Okay, well, listen. Apparently, she did an ad, you know, for Tostitos, and to celebrate her, they've, like, come out with this royal, like, Tostitos cake, where they do, like, seven-layer dip with all the Tostitos, and they're sort of presenting this as, like, their their royal wedding present, you know? What you're telling me is, like, there's going to be a royal footman? Yeah. You know, in the, in the livery, this walking up with like a seven-layer dip. Exactly. <laughs> yep. I like it. Uh, Prince William, by the way, he is the actual heir to the throne, if you follow along. He'll be Prince Harry's best man at the wedding. And if you have trouble telling them apart, uh, here's a mnemonic. Prince Harry looks hairy, <laughs> while Prince William looks like he got married a few years ago and has three kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's a little mean. You know, my son is named Harry. Did you know that? Yeah, I did not know that. Okay, so my firstborn son, I named him Ray. 
you know, Ray Glancy, right? He will yeah. punch you in the nuts. That's exactly <laughs> what I would expect of someone. And I, w- I would, I would, if someone said, my name is Ray Glancy, I would immediately cross my legs. Because that's exactly <laughs> what I would expect. Just something about the name. So the second guy, he has a really difficult birth. He had a really long and difficult birth. And I feel like we named him in vengeance. We named him Harry. Harry Clancy. It's like... He will sell you a used Honda. (laughs) (laughs) I just, you know, it's always interesting to meet people who have such specific dreams for their children. (laughs) It's like, Harry, I always, I see you as a used Honda salesman. And and Ray, oh, what I've got dreamed up for you. People are talking to Ray. Ray, why'd you punch me in the nuts? Because I could disappoint my mom. That's <laughs> <laughs> what she wanted for me. <laughs> Late night host Seth Meyers got to start doing improv in Chicago, so when he joined us recently on stage at Carnegie Hall in New York City, it was like a reunion with someone we've never met in a place we don't usually go. And now the game where we ask accomplished people to accomplish something they won't think of as an accomplishment. Back home in Chicago, we're very proud of a young comedian who used to perform there with Improv Olympic after graduating from Northwestern. He moved to New York City a while ago, and we're delighted to catch up with him, see what he's been up to. Seth Myers, welcome to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. What an honor to be here. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. So we understand you have a television show of some kind. I do. It's on very late at night. Yeah. So we tape at 6.30, and I am never awake when really? it airs. Really? <laughs> nope. I have no idea what I would do if someone said, okay, you're going to be starring in an in a evening show four nights a week. And was that intimidating when you got that job? It was, but... Saturday Night Live was so intimidating when I got that job sure. that I was prepared f- to be intimidated again. If you can do that. Yeah. Yeah. And so when, when you said to yourself, okay, we're going to have our own, our own iteration of Late Night. Yeah. You said, I want to do what? I didn't know. Really? When I first started doing the show, your biggest fear was how do you fill an hour? And that is not my fear no, anymore. No, no. <laughs> it's been replaced with bigger fears. Yeah. But <laughs> More existential ones. Yeah. Now, I was not joking. We are very proud that you came out of Northwestern College and then you were at I.O., out of the great Chicago improv tradition. Yeah, I was very lucky to go to a school that uh, considered improv a profession. Right. You know, my parents did deserve some of the blame. When they they took me to Chicago, and again, we grew up in New Hampshire, but my parents also went to Northwestern, and when they took me there for my first week of school, they took me to Second City because it was something they had done in college. And so, yeah, there we go, Second City. And so... Which was a grave mistake, because yeah. that was so much more interesting than any of my freshman year classes. Yes, yeah. damn it. But then I was very lucky. Uh, there was a theater called Boom Chicago that's based in Amsterdam right. in the Netherlands. And so I auditioned for that and moved overseas for a couple of years. So you're doing improv in Amsterdam for Dutch people? Yeah. How did that go? There were nights. It was not great. Yeah. <laughs> And I have a love affair with the Dutch, so this will sound like a criticism, but it's a loving one. They are the most honest people in the world. Okay. I remember after a show, 
a Dutch guy came over and said, hey, I'd like to buy you a drink. And I said, oh, did you like the show? And he said, no. <laughs> and I said, why are you buying me a drink? He goes, I did not like your comedy, but that doesn't mean I might not like you. <laughs> Optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> were, were, were the Dutch, were they a serious people? Were they hard to make laugh? They would only laugh if it was genuinely funny. And so I do think, looking back, when you spend two years somewhere where polite laughter doesn't exist, it makes you a better comedian. Right. Yeah. Because they put you through it. You never think you were good when you weren't. <laughs> you know, I should point out that, of course, 80% of our audience was Dutch, and the other 20% were Americans who were visiting Amsterdam, and, of course, they weren't there because improv was legal. Right. <laughs> did, that, did that help or hurt? It, you know, people say, oh, my God, a stoned audience must be the best audience. They are the worst audience. Oh, yeah. Because they laugh at the hat you're wearing. <laughs> you have a perfectly crafted joke and they're already laughing because of how you walked on stage. <laughs> Has President Trump noticed you? You know, we have a little bit of history, but you know, uh, recently Michelle Wolf, who, who was a colleague of mine, yes. she worked at our show, and, and after her correspondence dinner, he tweeted that she bombed as badly as I did during my correspondence dinner. <laughs> and that was, I was thrilled to be compared to her. Was she, no, well, first of all, I thought she was pretty great. She was fearless, but you were especially fearless. This is the famous 2011 White House correspondence dinner. Yeah. Where you chose to make fun of a certain person in the audience. Yeah. Donald Trump. Yeah. Private citizen at the time. I know. Yeah. And you, you completely mocked the whole idea of him, him uh, becoming president. And some people say, of course, that that's when he said, I'll show them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, color me shown. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're, like, you're like the Mrs. O'Leary's cow of the National Conflagration. Yeah. <laughs> the only difference is... Even Mrs. O'Leary's cow that night didn't walk out of there going, I crushed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Seth Myers, it is such an honor to talk to you. We have invited you here to play a game we're calling... Late Night Meet Date Night. So, you host Late Night quite famously and quite successfully. We're going to ask you three questions about date nights. Answer okay. Two, answer two to three questions correctly, and you'll win our prize for one of our listeners. Bill, who is Seth Myers playing for? Rachel Barish of New York, New York. All right. Okay. Dating has changed significantly over the centuries. If you were, for example, a Welshman looking for a date in the 17th century, what could you do to ensure you might catch her eye? A, walk loudly past her, as passion was considered to be proportional to the volume of footsteps. B, give your crush a homemade spoon carved with specific symbols indicating the nature of your love. Or C, travel as far away as you can and send a letter as love was proved by the distance it had to travel. All really good, feasible options. Yeah. <laughs> so one of these was the 17th century Welsh equivalent of swiping right. I like the idea of loudly walking past, I'm going with A. You're gonna go like you stomped yeah. past and that my passion for you is so great that I must stomp. I've met a couple of Welsh people and I've always heard them coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I'm sorry, it was the spoon. Whittle her a spoon. Presumably this means I want to spoon with you. All right, you still have two more chances. Your next question. Scientists are nerds, but they look for love too, as in which of these real life cases? Which, which of these really happened? A, a researcher in Antarctica turned on Tinder and matched with someone in Antarctica a few miles away. <laughs> B, a clinical technician was really impressed with the quality of a particular blood sample and looked up the patient to ask her out. Or C, a medical researcher who managed to impress his crush with comic dioramas made with euthanized lab mice. <laughs> oh, man. I'm going to go... I'm going to say Tinder and Antarctica. You're right. It worked. <laughs> this researcher who's down his station down there and says, oh, I wonder, I wonder I'll just turn on Tinder. I guess the nights get long. And he actually found somebody who was camping just a short while away. They did meet, but nothing happened. The scientist has said the first Antarctic Tinder hookup has yet to happen. So last question. If you get this one, all right, you win, right. Seth. Here we go. Celebrities have their own dating troubles. I'm sure you know that. <laughs> Actress Zoe Kravitz once went on a date, which she says went pretty well. He was nice. They got along. But then what happened? Was it A, at the end of the date, he said, that was fun, but I got to confess, I only came because I thought I had a date with Lenny Kravitz. <laughs> B, she pulled out her phone when she got home and saw that he had live tweeted the whole thing. Or see, the next day, the guy called her and asked her if she wouldn't mind looking after his, quote, pet turtle, unquote. And she said yes, because he was a nice guy and who doesn't like turtles? And it turned out to be a 30-pound African tortoise named Gary who stayed with her a month while this guy totally disappeared until he came back and said, hey, you want to catch a movie? And they went to the movie and he never mentioned the turtle, <laughs> which she ended up giving to a turtle rescue. Wow. <laughs> I want, I want it not to be seen because, <laughs> no, only because it's such a wonderful piece of writing. No, I, I know. want, I want that to be fiction and then I tip my cap to whoever came up with it. It was C. It was C. <laughs> Bill, how did Seth Meyers do in our quiz? Seth did great. Two out of three, a champion. Seth Myers is the host of Late Night with Seth Myers. If, like me, you can't stay up that late, it's often on the internet the next morning. Seth Myers, thank you so much for joining us on Wait, Wait, Don't Talk. Seth Myers, everybody. When we come back, we talk to Glenn Close about the best way to prepare rabbit stew, and comedian Louie Anderson tells us what it's like to be an award-winning mother. That's in a minute on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Strava, voted the number one running app five years in a row by the Running Awards. Strava is a tracking app, a training log, and a global community of active people just like you, running around in circles mostly to keep themselves from shouting at their children. Strava is free and works with almost every phone and GPS watch. Go to strava.com wait, download the app, and get going. 
Hey, listener, it's me, Peter Sagal from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. One thing that gets me through a tough week of obsessively reading and listening to the news is the idea that I eventually get to spend some time with you. You know, just our regular meeting in your kitchen as you do the dishes that have piled up all week or... Maybe as you drive your kid to soccer practice. I love that. It's good family time. If you've come to rely on our time together as much as I have, then I hope you'll consider donating to your local station at donate.npr.org slash wait, which supports Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me and makes all that us time possible. With your help, we can keep hanging out together every week. Thanks for coming. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis. Here's your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in Chicago, Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. Before we close the door on 2018, we're bringing you some of our favorite moments from recent shows. Like the time we visited Milwaukee and talked to actor Glenn Close. Peter asked her about growing up in Africa. Yes, my father uh, was in the former Belgian Congo for 16 years, being a doctor. Right, he was a doctor wow. in the Belgian Congo. So, and, and was it true that he occasionally worked with the dictator of the time, uh, Mobutu Sese Seko? Is that right? Yeah, he was his doctor. Wow. So yeah, well, he knew him when he was a colonel. Wow. So did you get to hang out with, with the dictator of the Congo? <laughs> No, no. Uh, actually, uh, I, I, I was uh, involved in a singing group after I graduated from high school, so I was kind of traveling around myself. Glenn, you're in a safe place. If it was an acapella group, you can tell us. No. <laughs> uh, I, I, have a, I actually wanted to ask you about I this. I love uh, acapella. The group was the famous Up With People, is that right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you're not in that same place. I loved Up With People. Do you still have a V-neck sweater? Just say it. (laughs) No, I have to say I got rid of all my V-neck sweaters. So I I, I want to put this delicately, and you can say as much as you want, but my understanding is, is that in those early days of Up With People, it was kind of weird. Uh, It was. I don't know how much you want to talk about. Uh, for people who might be younger, Up With People was this wonderfully cheerful group of mostly white people singing very cheerful songs, and we saw them a lot at Super Bowl halftime shows in the 80s. But, and so yeah. you were a part of that, but earlier, right? I was. I was part of the first group. And, and so what was weird about it? It was very controlled. It was, um, it was the offshoot of what basically was a cult group. Really? And, oh, yeah. And, and, and so what was the purpose of a cult? Did you have like a messiah figure in the middle oh, of it? Oh, any, any cult is to make the world better, but their way. And, and, and what was their solution? V-neck sweaters and cheerful white people? What was it? <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> in a word. Cults are notoriously difficult to leave. Did you have to be, like, kidnapped, or did you have to escape in any way, or did you just say... I, you know, I mean, we can laugh about it, but it was, it was incredibly traumatic, and I, no. and I, finally, I finally left, and I, at 22 years old, I went to William and & Mary and uh, became a freshman at 22. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't wow. know that. That was before college. I, I want to cover this. It turns out... Um, that you, I believe, are tied with two other actresses from many, many years ago for the most Oscar nominations without winning one for Best Actress. And people, Isn't that great? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I wanted to ask you about but this. You know what, Glenn, if they throw in an additional 
category, the most Oscar nominations, and leaving a cult, then you win. That's true. <laughs> but a, a number of people have said that in the new film that you're uh, coming out now, uh, The Wife, uh, in which you star as The Wife, that this might be it. This might be the movie that finally gets Glenn Close her, her Oscar. People really care about that, Or sole possession of the record. <laughs> it's true, one way or another. <laughs> you so win either way. I wanted to ask uh, if, uh, what you think about that. Well, I, it might be nice to keep the record going. That's yeah, true. honestly. <laughs> right. That's how I feel about my losses on Wait Wait. Yeah. <laughs> I do have to ask you about what I think is, is your most famous role out of the many, many, many films you've done, which is, of course, Fatal Attraction. And uh, that was the first time that you had played a, a villain, right? Because the roles that you were in before were very heroic. You, you were like the, the force of good in the natural. And so was it, I imagine it must have been fun to play a psychopath. Oh, I absolutely, I was not playing a psychopath. Right. Oh no. Were... But I know where you live. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was chilling. <laughs> Hang on, I, I have to call home. Hide the bunny. <laughs> Actually, one of the I, I was reading something that you said that you said that since making that film, it was some years ago. But you say that people have come up to you and talked about that film and said to you, "quote You saved my marriage." And I, yes. I don't know what that means. The, what were people saying? Well, because you, you, it's women who say that. Yeah, by and, the way. and what do they mean by that? Well, they mean that, that I scared the out of their husband. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> well, Glenn Close, we are delighted and honored to talk to you, but we have, in fact, asked you here to play a game we're calling Be Very, Very Quiet. We're hunting rabbits. <laughs> I say this with some sadness, but for all your remarkable achievements in theater and film, you will always be associated with a particular rabbit who sadly did not end up well, but simply and deliciously prepared. Mm -hmm. so we thought we'd ask you three questions about live rabbits. Answer two of them correctly, you win our prize for one of our listeners, the voice of their choice from our show on their voicemail. Bill, who is Glenn Close playing for? Susan Wernicke of Cedarburg, Wisconsin. All right. Nearby, apparently. So here's your first question about live, healthy, happy rabbits. One of the greatest days in rabbit history was when a group of rabbits accomplished what feat? A, they stole the world's largest carrot from a Guinness World Records display. <laughs> B, they defeated General Napoleon Bonaparte in a pitched battle. Or C, represented by a human lawyer they successfully sued Bugs Bunny for copyright infringement. <laughs> um, I do the third one. You do the third one, that the rabbits sued Bugs Bunny for copyright infringement. No, actually it's not. It was they defeated Napoleon Bonaparte. No. True story, How Napoleon Bonaparte. Napoleon decided to throw a party for his generals and aides, and it was going to be a rabbit hunting party. And he took them out in the field and he gave everybody guns. This was fun, I guess, in the early 18th century. And they released the rabbits, but instead of running and hiding and making themselves interesting to hunt, the rabbits all turned and attacked Napoleon. <laughs> and his aides driving them back into their coach and they ran away terrified. There is no way that's true. It's absolutely no, true. No, you know why it's true? The victors write the history. It's true. 
All right, you still have two more chances, so I'm not particularly worried. Rabbits have played their role in American history as well as when which of these happened? A, a crazed rabbit attacked then-President Jimmy Carter. B, Senator John Mitchell resigned after being photographed in his special sexy rabbit costume. Or C, when drunk late at night, the Nixon tapes caught that president talking to his imaginary best friend, a bunny named Max. Oh, my Lord. I go with the first one. You're going to go with the first one. You're right. Those of us who were alive back then might remember it. The famous incident happened when Carter was fishing in a pond back at home in Georgia, and this rabbit, he says, got in the water and swam straight towards him with murder in its eye, and he actually fended it off with an oar. So, all right, this is your last question. If you get this right, you win for our listener. A rabbit, of course, is playing a role in today's politics as well. In what way? A, Ivanka Trump has been accused of selling non-humanely raised rabbit fur underwear. (laughs) B, among the charges against Congressman Duncan Hunter of California, he used campaign funds to buy a plane seat for a rabbit. Or C, Education Secretary Betsy DeVos named her daughter's pet rabbit undersecretary for administration. I know that it's the second one. And you are right. Among the charges in Mr. Hunter's indictment, he spent $600 of campaign funds to fly his family's pet rabbit. Mr. Hunter says it was a, quote, oversight. Uh Happens to anybody. Bill, how did Glenn Close do in our quiz? She got two out of three, and that's a win for us. Glenn Close is an award-winning actress. Thank you so much for talking to us. What a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Yahoo Small Business. With Yahoo Small Business, you can easily build a mobile-friendly website for your business, hobby, or personal need in minutes. Select a theme, customize, and launch your business idea online, no coding required. Get the website builder for free when you sign up for a subscription at smallbusiness.yahoo.com today. In June, we talked to an old friend, Louis Anderson. Now, these days, Louis is an award-winning actor playing the mother on the show Baskets. But we started by asking him about growing up in Minnesota. Yeah, a, one. Uh, I'm tenth of eleven children. Oh my gosh! Isn't that? Some, I just slid out. <laughs> um, <laughs> my mom would hate that joke. I'm sorry, mom. It's all right. and, I was home from the hospital before she was. <laughs> <laughs> and and were you when you were growing up in that very large family? Were you like a kid who found his became the class clown? Was the guy who was like cutting up and making jokes, or did that come later? I think that came later because I, I was really quiet. I was an observer, and people used to say to me, they would laugh when I was being serious. And I would say, I'm being serious. And then they would laugh harder. And so I think I have a funny voice, and I'm probably not that funny at all. It's just my voice. Yeah, it might just be that. You talked a lot about your family. Did your mother, of course, see you do your stand-up and talk about the family? Was she okay with that? Yes, she, she liked it, but she would always try to correct me and tell me how I could do it better. Really? Yeah, just in the sweetest way. Like, Louie, that's not exactly right about me going to garage sales. <laughs> I go, Mom, you pulled over once. We were in a funeral procession. (laughs) 
and then she said, well, he wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> I've got to ask you about baskets. So I heard when the show came in the air that you were playing Zach Galifianakis' mother. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of like a weird, surreal drag thing. Was it weird? I don't know who called you, but it was Zach Galifianakis or, or the other producers who said, hi, uh, we're doing the sitcom uh, and we want you to play my mother. Yes, what happened was they called me um, and they said, uh, we're doing a sitcom with Zach Galifianakis and he was there and they said, uh, we want you to play a character. And I go, yes, of course, I'd love to. Zach is great. And, and then they said, um, we want you to play Zach's mother. And I go, yes. <laughs> because, you know, I've talked about my mom in my act and played her in my act, but for some reason, I don't really honestly know what happens to me, but I am their mother. Has it changed your life now that you're an Emmy award-winning actor? Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I love... I love having an award. I love being recognized by my peers mostly because I used to think I was a terrible actor and maybe I was sometimes, but I'm not anymore. Mm. <laughs> but are you going to get like greedy now and you want to be like a leading lady role? <laughs> well, I would like to play a man again. Okay. <laughs> well, Louis, we have asked you here to play a game we're calling. Louis, meet Louis Louis. Oh, boy. You're probably the most famous Louis around today, but 60 years ago, the most famous Louis was the song Louis Louis, an unlikely hit by the Kingsman. We're going to ask you three questions about that famous song. Answer two questions correctly. You'll win our prize, the voice of anyone you like on your voicemail. Bill, who is Louis Anderson playing for? Paige Lowe of Columbia, South Carolina. Here is your first question, Louis. When the Kingsman released Louis Louis in 1963, people suspected the lyrics, which were very hard to understand, might be obscene, and some people complained to the FBI. The FBI did what? A, they investigated the people who wrote in for wasting the time of the FBI. B, they played the song for J. Edgar Hoover, who said it was, quote, trite, but danceable. <laughs> or C, they spent two and a half years analyzing the song at different speeds and interrogating members of the band. Oh, I do love three, but... Um I love any news about J. Edgar Hoover because he also occasionally liked to wear a dress. And I guess you and he have that in common. Yeah. I'm going to go with J. Edgar Hoover. I like your affection for him, but that's not what happened. They actually spent two years investigating it because if the lyrics were obscene, they would corrupt America's youth. They weren't, though. It turns out they were just mumbling. You have two more chances, which is fine. It took a while before Louie Louie became a hit. In fact, it had only sold 600 copies before which of these happened to change history? A, Chicago Cub Lou Brock asked to use it as his walk-up music, making it famous but infuriating the Cubs so much they traded him to the Cardinal. <laughs> <laughs> B, Arnie Ginsberg, Boston's most popular DJ, chose it as his worst record of the week, eventually propelling it to number two on the Billboard charts. Or C, the song was featured in the Fina Mint laxative campaign, We Gotta Go Now. <laughs> um, Arnie Ginsberg. You're right, that's what happened. So much pressure. I know, it's a little bit of pressure, but you're handling it well. So if you get this, if you get this one right, you win. Uh, now, this is the crazy thing. As I said, the FBI searched for two years to find an obscenity in the song, and they didn't find one. 
But there is an obscenity in the song Louie Louie by the Kingsman. What is it? A, at exactly the 54 second mark, the drummer drops a stick and audibly then drops an F-bomb. <laughs> or B, the bass line is Morse code for a dirty word for the genitalia. Or C, the chorus, which sounds to us like Louie Louie in the following mumbling, is an obscene phrase in the Hmong language. <laughs> I'm gonna go with A. You're gonna go with A. You are right. <laughs> Bill, how did Louie Anderson do in our show? Louie Lou, I got two out of three, and that's a win, Congratulations. Louie. Congratulations! Louie Anderson is the Emmy Award-winning actor and comedian. You can watch him in Baskets on FX, which if it is not clear, I highly recommend that you do. And please check out his latest book, Hey Mom. It's out now. Louis Anderson, thank you so much for joining us again. Always so great to talk to you. Thank you, sir. Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is a production of NPR and WBEZ Chicago in association with Urgent Haircut Productions, Doug Berman, Benevolent Overlord. Philip Godica writes our limericks. Our house manager is Tyler Green, assisted by Simon Tran and Mary DeOlio. Our interns are Catherine Coates and Zoe Lowenberg. Our web guru is Beth Novi. BJ Lederman composed our theme. Our program is produced by Jennifer Mills, Miles Dernboss, and Lillian King. Our chief of staff is Peter Gwynn. Technical direction is from Lorna White. Public address announcer is Paul Friedman. Our master of operations is Colin Miller. Our production coordinator is Robert Newhouse. Our senior producer is Ian Chillog. And the executive producer of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is Mike Danforth. Thanks to Bill Curtis, all of our panelists, all of our wonderful guests. And of course, thanks to all of you for listening. I am Peter Sagal, and we will see you next week. This is NPR.